our Bibles out. We are in Ephesians chapter 6, if you would like to turn there this morning. Ephesians 6. He writes to a group of Gentiles. Uh, the church there was predominantly Gentile, and it was a large, thriving city. It would be much like the gospel getting a, a foothold in New York City or Los Angeles, a huge metropolitan area that uh, contained lots of Roman and, and Greek influence. So he writes this church, lays some doctrinal groundwork in the first three chapters. But in the next three chapters, he says, now this is what you should do with this information. Every sermon you ever hear, you should ask yourself that question. God, what do you want me to do with this information? We're not in the business of dispensing only information. Information cannot change you. The Holy Spirit of God can change you. The Word of God can change you. But you've got to be open to that as the early church was. Uh, he had finished off uh, chapter 5, our other pastors had, with some practical applications that started out back in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. Within the church, there should be this principle of submission out of reverence for Christ. In other words, anytime I want to do something in her, it shouldn't have to be a fight. It shouldn't be a matter of arguing, well, what color carpet are you going to get, Pastor Jim? Well, it's not about me, and it shouldn't be about the color of the carpet either. Well, you have Christmas trees. Don't you know that's a pagan symbol? Oh, please. But that kind of nonsense can pervade the church if we walk in the flesh instead of in the spirit. We should walk in a spirit of submission to one another. I shouldn't have to walk around all the time saying, hey, don't you know who the head pastor here is? Don't you know that you're supposed to bow and curtsy before me? By the way, you're not. And I shouldn't have, we're all in this thing together, Pastor Tracy. Well, outline that. But when we work together, let's not demand our own way. This has very practical application. In this church, please, in Jesus' name, do not demand your own way. You demand your own way because you think you know what's best. Or you think you do. And you're willing to impose that upon other people. It can move into the realm of the flesh really quick. Where I didn't get what I wanted when I wanted it. You've, we've got to remind ourselves all the time. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the risen Lord. It's about serving his other people. So when we don't submit to each other, i got to tell you what, that, that leads to burnout in the pastorate. And if Satan can't burn out the pastor, he's going to burn out the pastor's wife. So a lot of times people try to do an end run around me to get Kathy to do what they want to do. And I've told Kathy, time without number for 35 years, send them to see me. We'll talk. We'll pray. But what they won't do is demand their own way. So pick up on that principle in Ephesians 5.21. Uh, feel free to highlight that because Satan is going to oppose you in this. He's going to try to keep you out of the Word of God in the flesh, constantly pettily is that a word? Petty about what your expectations are in church? Elevate your eyesight. We can all either look at each other's imperfections or we can raise our eyes and look to the risen Lord who is without imperfection. 
and then walk in love and grace and humility. Otherwise, we're all putting on a hypocritical show. Because in my flesh, I want you to think I'm more holy than I am. So I'm going to talk holy. And boy, we are good at Christianese, aren't we? We got the language down, Pat. We go, how are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord, I'm doing good. You know, and your life could be falling apart, but you just can't see your way to honesty. So we keep up this smokescreen of being more spiritual or trying to appear more spiritual than we are. Lay all of that fleshly nonsense aside, please. In Jesus' name, obey Scripture. Verse 21, submit to one another. It's a principle of submission. I don't have to demand my own way. And here's why. Because it doesn't matter. In the scheme of eternity, most of what divides churches doesn't really matter. The color of the carpet, whether we have trees or not, pagan symbols. I mean, we can rag on each other and other churches all day long. What we, there should, doesn't it say love covers a multitude of sins? So if you think a Christmas tree is a sin, get over it. <laughs> love covers a multitude of sins. Forgive the Christmas tree. Not that these Christmas trees have sinned against you much. So you got to think, do I, does God want me to dwell in the land of petty? Or does he want me to move on to maturity, which is always born of humility? Humility is always born of seeing God for who he really is and seeing yourself for who you really are. That allows the church to work, and it works like a well-oiled machine then. When there is love, when there is grace, when there is the Holy Spirit of God, where there is the Word of God, where there are no expectations. I just want to love you. I just want to serve you. I got no other agenda. I just want to hear the Word of God. I just want somebody to lead me in praise and worship. I'm not here to critique their ability on instruments. I'm here to praise the Lord. And they helped me do that much better than without that. I don't sing well a cappella myself. Maybe you do, and that's great. But in this Scheme of things, it, it embraces us into the family of God. Whether we speak Spanish or English, whether we're young or old, come from one political persuasion or another, those things are irrelevant in the scheme of eternity. And those are the very things that we argue over in the world today. These things don't matter. Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Paul would write in one of his epistles. This letter is so practical, but only if you apply it. If you walk out of here today the same way you walked in, if you don't allow the Word of God to do surgery on your heart, no, not your spouse's heart, not the person sitting next to you, those wanky children of mine, they really need to hear, you know, how about we just open up our hearts and say, Jesus, would you do business with my heart? We've actually got to put this stuff into practice, and someday we will stand before the Lord God Almighty, and he'll ask us that. Pastor Jim, do you remember this on December 10th? Did you preach the Word of God? Yes, I did, Lord, with all of my heart. I did, Lord. I love the best to humble myself before you and acknowledge your Word whether I found it comfortable or not. I prayed that the people would have open hearts, and, and I believe with all of my heart that you did open their hearts, that you loved them enough and spoke to them, that they changed. They learned. They grew. Otherwise, church serves no purpose. It's got to be practical. 
you got to walk away with a renewed commitment. I'm going to do this stuff, Jesus. It starts with submission to Him, obviously. That allows us to submit to each other. It allows wives to submit to their husbands, husbands to love their wives. Everything in life flows out of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All of that flows out of your relationship. If your relationship's good, your relationships are good. If your relationship with heaven is good, your relationship with earth will prosper. First things first. People say, well, I want a better marriage. Great. How's your walk with the Lord? This isn't rocket science. Well, I got these issues in my life. Are you taking it to the church? Are you being anointed with oil? Are you praying? Are Are you studying the Word of God? Or do you keep up the Pharisaic facade that said, oh, I'm doing good. I don't, I don't need anybody to pray for me. I'm fine. Let's just admit something right up front. I'm not okay, and you're not okay. We need the Lord. Amen. Right? Do I have it right? Or, I, or have I miscategorized you? I could be wrong. Perhaps you walk on water. Perhaps you've committed no sin. Perhaps you got your degree in ecclesiology and and church verbiage. How's your walk? Are you walking in obedience? Do you walk in submission? Do you walk in love? Because that's where the rubber hits the road. And that's what I like so much about the, the book of Ephesians. It is practical. Some of you may say, yeah, to a fault. When, as they covered in previous weeks, wives, it says in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, submit to your husbands. Wives can sometimes easily resent that. Well, you don't have any idea what a jerk my husband is. Not the point. (laughs) Thank you. What's the point? Obedience to the Word of God. Doesn't matter how you feel. Notice it doesn't, feelings isn't mentioned anywhere in this passage. Well, I don't feel like this. I didn't feel like getting out of bed this morning, but I did. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I got to worship with my brothers and sisters. And those of you that can help out in the Spanish ministry, that would be great. (laughs) Of all that Hugo said, our missionary up to the Chihuahua Mountains in Mexico, of all that he said, I picked out one word, Chihuahua. (laughs) I've heard of the breed of dog before, but I think he was talking about something else down there. Uh, So there are each of us that have gifts, talents, and abilities. I struggle ordering off the menu at Taco Bell. I am not the guy to, I mean, well, Pastor Jim, can't you learn Spanish? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm 71, and I've struggled for 71 years learning one language, and you want me to learn another? Please, have mercy on me. The Word of God stands as the truth of God. Yes, there are, and after we submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21 said, there are specific applications of that. Wives to their husbands. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. And he talks about that for quite a while, and he says, what we're really talking about is unity within the body of Christ. This is the church, this whole thing, the, the marriages within the church should picture the whole church. There should be love, there should be grace, there should be acceptance, there should be submission, there should be love covering a multitude of sins. All of that we practice in our homes. So when we come to church and gather together, guess what? We're all trying to do better at that. That's why I'm here. I want to be better. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be badder. I want to be better. 
let's focus on that and on ourselves, not on our spouses, not on our husbands or our wives. I, every time we go through Ephesians and we go, wives, submit to your husbands, the husbands are over there giving the elbow to their wives. And then we drop down a few verses later, husbands, love your wives, and the wives are then elbowing the husbands. We're going to talk about children at the start of chapter 6, and they'll be elbowing the both of you, and both of you will be elbowing your children, which shows resistance to the Word of God. God expects things of husbands. He expects things of wives. And as we start into uh, chapter 6 in verse 1, he, God has expectations of the children within a godly home as well. He's speaking to the church. So let's get the context here. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Oh, there's a quote from the Old Testament which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It's a promise. It's a promise from God. You know, in Paul's time, he's speaking to a generation of people that, that didn't hold children in high esteem. They practiced abortion. They would discard or more typically Romans would drown the children that they didn't like or that had some sort of infirmity. That was typical. Children were seen as disposable. Children in Roman society had no rights at all. You could beat them to the point of death. They were considered property. You have to understand when the Bible came along, it gave children rights. It gave women rights. It acknowledged that God had given headship to the man, but in the scheme of things, a spirit-filled home is a home full of love and joy and peace and patience. But understand that it's the Word of God that freed up the families from the tyranny of Rome. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. One of the main things that parents could do in Roman society is, if you don't obey your mom and I, we're going to sell you into slavery. It happened a lot. It happened a lot, which kept perpetuating that monstrosity that was handed down to the American colonies of enslaving others that are made in the image of God for our personal convenience. That's an abomination. Children, obey your parents. It doesn't say if you think they should be obeyed. It doesn't say if they're worthy of your respect. And children, by the way, is not even in the diminutive form here in the original language. What does that mean? It means keep obeying this into adulthood. When you turn 18, it is not biblically your right to now start dissing your parents. You don't have that biblical right. Children of all ages, children that are 50 years old, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Just as we are all like children of God, there's no reference to age there. It just says, if you have parents, honor them, obey them. Unless, of course, they ask you to do something that's blatantly unscriptural against the law, but we should continue to hold them up all the way through adulthood. The limit of our obedience is our Christian conscience, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Of course, if your parents ask you to violate any of those things, you're going to have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I love you, and I respect you, and I honor you, but I can't, I can't 
walk in violation of my conscience, the Holy Spirit, or the, or the Word of God. But where it says obey, you need to be carefully attentive to this one. What does that mean? Hoop acuite, literally to listen beneath. And it's a command, it's not a suggestion, to hear beneath. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, it flows out of submitting yourselves one to another, but it means hearing what your parents have to say. That's why the word acuite, where we get our word acoustic, is used in this passage. Listen to your parents. It doesn't say go upstairs, slam the door, and throw a tirade for the next three weeks because you've been grounded. That's not what it says. It says listen to what they say. And when you hear your parents, obey. Literally, put yourself under what they say. Put yourself under what they say. Akua, listen up. We say that often, don't we? Would you listen to me? <laughs> oh, that's the Greek right here. You're a Greek scholar. Look, you didn't even know it. The breakdown of the family is one of the first signs of the breakdown of any society. So the family has been perpetually under attack, but more in these last days than at any other time in history that I know of. Satan knows if you can destroy the nuclear family, a mom and a dad raising children, if you can destroy that nuclear family any way at all, by children in disobedience to their parents or divorce or adultery or single-parent homes, Satan is beginning then to break down the entire society. One of the first signs of the breakdown of society is the breakdown of the family. And so Paul wrote, writes to Timothy of the perilous times coming in, especially the last days. And he said one of the signs would be disobedience to the parents. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, he says, Mark this, Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, narcissists, lovers of money, hmm, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Again, no reference to age. It's just that you don't respect the generation that you came out of. You don't respect them. The youth of today feels my parents were stupid and I can't wait to come out from underneath their thumb and do it my way. There is that kind of disobedient spirit Throughout America today, in the end times, they will be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Can you say that we're living in the last days? We certainly are. And it was here. When he says, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right, he then says in verse 2, honor them. And the word in Greek is tomao, but it means to assign value to. In other words, kids, listen, your parents have something valuable to pass on to you. Don't be all prideful and arrogant. I don't care whether you're 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50, your parents still have something of value to speak into your life because that is the way that God ordained it. You need to be open to that voice. You value what your parents say. Another definition of the original word is a price paid or received. In other words, your parents paid a great price to acquire the wisdom they're trying to pass on to you. 
If your children do not obey you, do you obey your parents? If your children do not respect and honor you, did they pick up that example from you? Do you honor and respect your parents? Because while your kids will never do what you tell them to do, they will always do what they see you doing. I know parents that say, well, do what I say, not what I do. That's called hypocrisy in the Bible. You don't want to go there. Your parents paid a price to get the wisdom that they possess. They've been where you're at. They have been what you are going through. They've been there. They've done that. That's a good t-shirt, isn't it? Been there. Done that. Children. No. <laughs> Some t-shirts are of great value and say just tremendous amounts of things. A third and, and, and final implication of this word honor in verse 2 is to consider precious and of great value. Is this how you feel about your parents' input into your life? Or do you resent everything they say? This is really where the rubber hits the road. How many of you call yourselves Christians this morning? Can I see your hands? As you keep your hands up, you've just made a commitment to obey God's Word. He will hold you accountable. He sees every hand that went up. He's reading your heart like an open book even as we sit here this second. These are hard questions sometimes. You say, I don't want to have to deal with that. God wants you to deal with that. Verse 3, and here's why you should honor your father and mother and children, obey your parents, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It quotes Exodus 20 in verse 12 out of the Old Testament, profitable reading the Old Testament. It's repeated again in Deuteronomy 5.16. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Prize highly is what the Hebrew term means to care for, to show respect. To obey. So, if any of you in here have living parents or if any of you children have a problem with the parents that you currently have at home, let me just ask you this question. Do you want to live long? Then respect, prize highly, care for, and obey your parents. Let me ask you another question. Those of you that have parents or are children of any age, you want to die young and miserable? Then disrespect your parents. Don't care for them, disregard their values, and don't do what they tell you, and die. Well, that's kind of what it just said here, isn't it? I mean, you, got, you got a choice. You got a choice now. You can be miserable and die young or live the kind of life that Jesus died to give you. Fathers have an obligation. Verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't provoke them to rage and discouragement by unreasonable demands, taunting them, teasing them, overbearing demands and unreasonable rules. Why can't you be as smart as your brother? Well, that'll kill the spirit of a child. That'll just kill them. Some kids are capable of A's and B's and some aren't. 
Some will go to college and do well, and others need to go to trade school and learn to be welders and plumbers and electricians. And it's the will of God. Let it, let it be. God broke the mold when he made each one of us. We're all individuals. Respect that we are all. And our children, made in the image of God, commit them into the hands of God. But let God use them. Always encourage them to seek the Lord. But don't be overbearing in your demands with unreasonable rules. Please don't practice favoritism amongst your, your children. Uh, such things cause children to become discouraged. Paul would write the Colossian church and say this in chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger lest they become discouraged. Some of us had harsh parents. I'm a baby boomer, and the, my parents came out of World War II, and they hadn't even heard of PTSD and typically took it out on their kids. So I know all about whipping and beating and drunkenness in the house and the difficulty respecting parents that do such things to their children. It could be very discouraging. My house, when my parents were both at work, looked like Lord of the Flies, looked like four kids on a desert island trying to eat each other. It was cannibalistic in my home, and we were all latchkey kids, but not irredeemable the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away that past. Do not identify yourself with a dysfunctional past. We all had one. We all had one. Let it go. I don't want to hear anybody whining about, oh, my life was so hard. My dad made less than half a million dollars a year, and I didn't get a car until I was 16. Do you believe that? You know what that child needs? A spanking. A spanking. I don't spank in my house. Send them to mine. <laughs> we can help you. <laughs> Fathers are instead supposed to bring them up, nurture them, rear them to provide physical and spiritual needs. Uh, you provide for their training. Training in discipline, that's called, you know, child discipline, including correcting and directing, but training in righteousness, training in the Word of God. Train them how to pray. Train them how good it feels to go to church and sing God's praises. Set that example before your children. Teach them to obey the Lord as we do. God is supposed to be the very center of their relationships in a Christian home, the very center of all teaching and learning. Don't, don't tease or provoke your children in an unkind way or set expectations so high as to be unrealistic. Let's just trust God. Pray for them. Pray with your children. Uh, sometimes you just need to explain why they're getting a spanking, not just beat on them. Explain it to them. Son, daughter, you did this. And dad and mom told you what would happen if you did that, didn't we? Yeah. I want you to go to your room. Then I'm going to come up after a while. I want you to think about what you did. I want to confess that. I want you to confess that sin to God. Go upstairs five minutes later. And you let the Word of God and the Spirit of God direct you. Sometimes physical discipline is called for. And sometimes they just need to be prayed for and loved on. Sometimes they need to be forgiven, given the opportunity to confess and repent, just like God gives you. Don't be a harsh taskmaster. 
disciplining your children in your home is, is never an issue of anger. If it is, you have the spiritual problem, not your child. God doesn't discipline you or I because He's mad at us. So how do we bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Well, Deuteronomy told us, be careful, watch yourselves closely that you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you do. But teach them to your children and their children after them. Tell your children and grandchildren what God has done for you. You saved me from my sins. I was a wretched, hot mess. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear, O Israel, be careful to obey the Word of God. Then he skipped on down to verse 7. Impress these things upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Do you do that with your children of any age? When, when my, my 30 and 40 and 50-year-old kids come over to my house, guess what? I'm going to talk to them about the Lord. I want to pray with them. I want to love on them. But the Lord is the center of my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You don't want to do that? That means you don't want to live here. Set some rules. Honor them enough to hold them accountable for their actions. If they don't want to serve the God you serve, if they only bring disruption to your home or drugs or alcohol or drunkenness or violence, just say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You don't want to do that? There's the front door. Why don't you go out there and show the world what a big person you are and how right you are and how wrong we are. Don't let your kids milk you and take advantage of you. That's not a godly quality. As for me and my household. But on the other hand, I'm not going to tease or provoke my children. I'm not going to set unrealistic expectations, but I will be biblically obedient. I think it's important in the home to keep a spiritual environment. Watch what you watch. Be careful. Know what your children are watching on social media. Look at their phones. In fact, I think you should give them a phone. When? When is it too early to give them a phone? I'm thinking, give them a phone anytime after 35. There's a lot better chance they will not wander into true stupidity that you give them one when they're, you know, like five or six. <laughs> Monitor what your children watch on TV or social media. And I think, quite frankly, this is just personally, that parents ought to have their head examined who brings R-rated movies into their home and invites their children to watch them with them. There's nothing on there but gratuitous sex violence, or language. Which one of those three do you think God wants to teach your children? Then tell me again why you're allowing R-rated movies in your home or to be watched on TV. Is this a little too uncomfortable for you? <clears throat> Obedience requires commitment and sometimes sacrifice. Am I willing to sacrifice R-rated garbage? Absolutely. I don't need to watch that. I don't need to go to R-rated movies. goes on to talk about slaves and masters in verse 5. Slaves, and slavery was dominant throughout the Roman Empire. Slaves, obey your earthly master with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. 
Now, a lot of people have extrapolated and said, well, that applies to employee and employer relationships today. Yeah, okay, well, you may not like your job, but you're not a slave. You actually get paid. Whoa, we make minimum wage. Slaves got no wage at all. So let's appreciate that it was far more difficult for the slaves to obey this Scripture than for those of us that have jobs. I know that 70% of America statistically doesn't like its job. You don't have to like it to stand up and be a good Christian example. Maybe that's why God has you there. Well, it's a really dark place. That's where your little light shines brightest. That's why you're there. That's your prayer assignment. Those are the people whose salvation you need to be praying. That's why you're there. Slaves, obey it as you would obey Christ. Verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Did you catch that? Where you're at is the will of God. Whether a day, week, month, or 50 years, God places people where He wants them. It's not an accident. Can I tell you, you're not a victim of circumstances. We all need jobs. Then pray about the job that God wants you to have. And then in verse 7, then serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not men because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good He does, whether He is slave or free. If God expected slaves that made no wage at all, and were brutally treated in some cases by their masters, if God meant them to do this, how much more those of us that have a job and we're actually making a wage? Be thankful for what you have because starving doesn't feel good. Thank God for the job that you have. And when you go to work, work at it with all of your heart. It's your witness. You should be the person that goes the extra mile, that puts in the extra effort. You should be the person at work who doesn't complain. Are you the person that's doing more than is required of you? Do you show up on time? Here's what God expects. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. And don't justify it. If you do these things, stop doing those things. Confess it as sin and ask God to forgive you and set a better example in the future so that my life might be a good witness for Jesus Christ because ultimately, I'm trying to please Him. Ultimately, I'm working for Him. I'm not working for the government. I'm not working for, for big old tire. I'm working for the Lord. He is ultimately my boss. And then in verse 9, oh, how much... God's Word has to say about all kinds of relations. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he uh, who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no favoritism with God. In other words, do what's right. If you're an employer, do what's right. Don't demean your employees. Speak well of them. Encourage them. Discipline them when, when it is required before the Lord, but don't get fleshly. When you do, I think there's a principle that I'm beginning to pick up from these passages. No man can rule who is not ruled himself. I'm ruled by God. And I want that reflected in all of my relationships with my wife, with my children, with those that I work for or those that may work underneath me. These are very, very practical things. 
And after having discussed these very practical ad admonitions here, starting in verse 10, Paul says, now understand this, there are forces at work that will try to get you not to do anything that I've just said. There are demonic forces out there under the headship of Satan that have always been in rebellion against God, and that is ultimately the enemy you face. It's not your boss at work. It's not the pagan down the street. It's not even this corrupt world system or social media. The enemy we ultimately face is Satan. That's where we are at war. And so he has something now to say about how we put ourselves into place spiritually where I can come against the enemy who comes against me and walk in obedience to the principles that he's just outlined. But I have to understand, bad things happen to good people. Sunday at the men's prayer group, we had a wonderful study, at least I did. I don't know if anybody else did. The food was fantastic. The fellowship was marvelous. But we were looking at Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, one of the last godly kings that, that Judah had. And when bad things happened to him, he just went into the house of the Lord and laid it all out before the Lord. His country was about to be overrun by enemy forces. And because, and the Lord said to him, because you prayed, I will answer your prayers. Which means that it's up to us to pray first. Not to let everything go by and then when all else fails, pray. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. But understand the threat behind him. It wasn't just Sennacherib that was invading Judah. There were forces at work behind Assyria. And would these same demonic forces would be the main source and power behind the thrones of Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greeks, the Romans after them, and the eventual end kingdom of the Antichrist. So don't see people as the enemy, but see that they're under the grip of Satan. And here how's you, how you and I can successfully fight against these spiritual forces. Look at verse 10. Finally. <laughs> you can tell he's a preacher. He says finally and then goes on for another 10 minutes. He doesn't mean finally. Really, he means in closing. This is the first of my six or seven final closing statements. Finally. Be strong. Why? Because you went to Gold's Gym? Be strong in what? In the Lord. Which means you don't have the strength to come against Satan in yourself. It's a spiritual battle against a spiritual adversary. And we've got to do this God's way if we're going to see the victory. Be strong in the Lord. And in whose mighty power? His, not mine. Not the wisdom or the power of this world. Know that you don't have the strength in and of yourself to pull off this kind of combat. Satan is smarter than you, bigger than you, stronger than you, and been around longer than the oldest of us in this congregation. He has acquired a vast amount of wisdom and knowledge. But it was Jesus himself who gives me strength and said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. He meant that. Scripture also says, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. In other words, no matter what Satan throws at me in life, and he's got a bunch of garbage at his disposal, doesn't he? He's got more arrows in his quiver than Robin had ever thought. 
and he's zinging them at you constantly. There's a target on your back. There's a target on your front. There's a target on your mind. There's a target on your heart. Everywhere you can think of, <laughs> Satan's got an arrow right for that specific weakness. What do you do? Cover up. Armor up. If you know that the enemy is going to attack, you have a couple of choices. You can face him butt naked. Now, I don't recall it in the history of America we ever sent our soldiers into harm's way buck naked. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Any of you military guys, you ever go into battle naked? No shoes, no belt, no clothes, no nothing? Nobody, nobody with a brain in their head bigger than that of a centipede goes into battle buck naked. You do what? You armor up. And some of your weaponry is defensive, and some of your weaponry is offensive. And a good military teaches you when to use which to the greatest effect against the enemy that you face. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's a power in the original language that overcomes resistance. It's a term that was used of Jesus' miracles of God's inherent strength, the power of His inherent strength, if you will, that was mentioned back in chapter 1 and verse 19. So believers can be strengthened not only by the person of the Lord, but also by utilizing His resources. Utilizing His resources. Hmm. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's interesting to me as well that in the original language, it's worded in the passive voice, which means just yield to the process and God will do it for you. That's cool. Seek the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and this, He will help you in this. He will do this for you. He will impart His strength to you. It's His strength. It is not ours. And you think about all the ways that Satan attacks you. See if some of this doesn't sound maybe perhaps a little personal little relevant to you. He attacks us primarily emotionally and spiritually, physically to be sure. I mean, those of you that are over 50 are well acquainted with how he attacks our physical frame, but emotionally seems to leave a deeper wound. He attacks in the area of fear, despair, anxiety, Depression. You say, I thought that was all just me, Pastor Jim. This is Satan himself who is coming against you and all of his hordes with him. But he comes against us spiritually as well. And you say, I'm sitting in church, Pastor Jim. How could he possibly be attacking me spiritually? Have you ever had a bad thought in church that you didn't have before you came to church? Where in the world that come from? Got some absolute monster of a bad thought that crosses your mind. Just because you're in the house of God does not make you impervious to his attacks. In that moment, you have to take every thought captive and obedient to Christ Jesus. Don't turn it over in your mind. Don't think about it. Don't eyeball somebody or lust after somebody. Don't do that. When I'm attacked spiritually, sometimes he's, he wants me to doubt the Word of God. Adam and Eve in the garden, did God really say? Do I doubt the promises of God? Do I doubt the love of God? 
he really loved me, why would he allow this to happen? You ever heard that voice? It's not your voice. Don't own it. That's what the pit of hell sounds like, questioning the love of God, doubting the faithfulness of God. Is he going to hear me? I mean, I've been praying, you know, for the last five minutes, and I don't have an answer yet. Give it five years. Give it as long as it takes. Well, why do I have to wait? Because you don't have patience, and he's going to teach you the easy way or the hard way. Patience. Patience. God has provided his armor against these attacks of the enemy. And what he lists for us is the wardrobe that comes from the person he's chained next to in Rome. He is under house arrest. This is one of the prison epistles. And so all he's got to do, and how cool that must have been for Paul. Paul wanting to share his faith is locked up. Who are you going to share your faith with now, Paul? He's got a captive audience. He's chained to him in eight-hour shifts. And he's looking at the guy going, hey, <laughs> you know, what well, you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus, you know. Fancy armor you got, by the way. I really like that. The Bible tells us, put on whole armor of God. You can just see him taking the analogies off this guy. But later on, the effectiveness of his ministry in jail is astounding. Those in, in Caesar's own household give you their regards. Caesar, Caesar's troops among the imperial guard send you their greetings. Let's bring that up into our context. Those at Memorial Hospital the week that you were there, send you their greetings because they came to faith in Christ Jesus. Huh. Well, that puts a new slant on things, Pastor Jim. I hadn't thought about that. Satan's always probing to see if there's any chinks in your armor, for sure. He's constantly on the prowl, looking whom he may devour. Some say, well, he's chained. He doesn't have, really? If he's chained, all I can say is there's too many links in that chain. He comes at me all the time. He's constantly on the attack. And he'll use any guise or any ruse to catch you and I off guard. And Paul refers to the wiles of the devil. He's cunning. He's clever. He's relentless. I, knowing that he is going to attack, must be proactive in putting on the armor that God provides me. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, his mighty power. Put on the full. Say full. That means you can leave some of it at home and it leaves you vulnerable. Well, Pastor Jim, I read my Bible, but I'm not much on prayer. Well, I pray, but I don't, I don't attach a lot of significance to communion, fellowship with the Lord. Well, Pastor Jim, I pray, I read the Word of God, but I don't fellowship. There's a, vast, there's a huge exodus out of the church these last days. Satan wants you out of the church because if one of us can put 100 to flight, two of us can put 10,000 to flight, and Satan knows that. It's an Old Testament principle. It's played out often throughout the pages of Scripture. We're stronger together, so Satan will do everything he can to isolate you. Don't do it. Can you be clearer, Pastor Jim? Okay, glad you asked. Don't do it. Don't let him rob you of fellowship opportunities. Well, I fellowship with my friends. Are you in the church? Are you serving? Well, no. Duh. 
How is it that we can be so smart and so educated and so dumb at the same time? It's not about what you say you believe or even how spiritual you look. It's what you do. How many of you know you need to be in the Word of God? Show me your hands. How many of you know you need to be in the Word of God? How many of you know that you need to be in prayer? Okay, these are the things, Acts chapter 1 and 2, that came out of the early church. This is the things they did to keep strong. How many of you know that communion and celebrating what Jesus did for us regularly is important? How many of you know that? Give me your hands. Show me your hands. How many of you know that the fellowship of the saints in church service is essential? Show me your hands. Okay, here's your homework assignment. Do all four. Okay, you don't know what to do this afternoon, and, and you don't care for the football teams that are up? <laughs> the wives are saying, boy, are you stepping on my husband's toes? <laughs> Good. Pray, read, communion, fellowship of the saints in church. You must do these things. If you do not, in your arrogance and pride, you will fall. I don't care if you're the Pope. You ignore the four things that made the early church strong. Satan's got you in his crosshairs, dog. Understand that. He ain't playing games, but we think that we can disobey the Word of God and that somehow everything's going to just come out hunky-dory. Not the way that works. I wish it did. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You don't have to attack him. All you got to do is stand. I like this so far. And God's going to give me everything that I need and the strength to stand. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Literally, his methodologies, his modus operandi. This is how he works. He's just outlined it. Here's how he's going to attack you. Put on the full armor, and that way you can stand. Don't worry about going on the offense. Just stand until the trumpet sounds and I call you home. The battle's not as long as you think it is. For some of you, it's much shorter. We'll take you home. I want him to be sitting on the throne of my heart till that day arrives. And I want to be strong, not in Jim Etheridge, but in the power of his might. I want, to, I want to pray in the Spirit. Put on the full armor of God, verse 11, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, there, there is a hierarchy in hell. These are powers and principalities. There are different ranks. It's a military structure that sounds like it's being described to us here. And I must take my stand against these demonic powers, however strong or wherever they may be, against these authorities powers, the rulers. Verse 13, knowing that there is a military hierarchy among the demonic realm and they have strategies and methodologies that they are going to use against you and I. Verse 13, well, you want to highlight this one. Because of that, therefore, when you see therefore, you want to ask yourself the question, what is it there for? 
okay? Because Satan is coming against you, because he's a roaring lion, because he has you in his crosshairs, here's what you better do. This is what you better do unless you like teeth marks of the devil all over your hide. This is what you should do. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Say full, full armor of God. That means not neglecting any of the things that we have just discussed. Put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, you will still be standing. He's the God of this world. Jesus described him three times as in the, in the Gospel of John. John 14, 30, you could start there where Jesus called Satan the God of this world. When Adam and Eve sinned, title deed to this planet was given to him. That's why he could tell Jesus when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus, tell you what, all of the kingdoms of the world, they belong to me. And I can give them to anyone I want to. So if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus did not challenge that statement. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is alive and well. Satan's bound. No, that happens in the end of the book of Revelation. Read the Scriptures. That's where he's bound for a thousand years while Christ sits on the throne of this world. That's when he's bound. If if some people teach that he's bound today, then that chain is, is way too long as far as I'm concerned. But I do have weaponry that I can use in this battle against him while I'm standing firm. Verse 14 reminds us then, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Remember that? Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. You need to be in the word of God. Jesus said, He is the Word of God. In the beginning, it was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So Jesus and His Word are inextricably bound up together. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, breastplate of righteousness in place. Whose righteousness? Not mine. Got to be His. What's the breastplate protect? If your heart already belongs to another, it stands a better chance of surviving the fight. You understand? That's why the Bible encourages us several different times. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You invest yourself in that kind of relationship, you'll win the battle. You will win the battle. Verse 15, with your feet fitted, shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Being quick to share your faith, absolutely. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. Oh, by, before I leave verse 15, this was interesting one time. A teenage girl on a date uh, told me uh, one time a guy was getting a little too frisky with her, a Christian boy, uh, and was getting a little too frisky with her at the end of their date. And uh, she wasn't exactly sure uh, how to, to deal with him. And so in v- verse 15, that came to her mind. And she said, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you, would you like to pray with me right now to accept him as Lord and Savior? And it stopped his physical advances instantly. I like that. <laughs> I teach that one to my teenage daughter any old time of the week. 
and your feet, verse 15, shod with the preparation of the gospel. In addition to all of this, verse 16 says, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman legionary troops would take their wooden shield that was covered in leather, dip it in water, and so when the flaming arrows came, their wet shield would extinguish those arrows. Very, very smart of the Romans. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. What's that guard? The mind. The battles for the mind. The battles for the mind. Know your enemy. Know how to oppose your enemy. And you can only do it in accordance with this Scripture here. Take the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. <laughs> For those of you that slept through your high school history classes, can I share something with you? I was snoring right alongside of you, but after I got saved for some reason, God gave me just a real love for history. And from a historical perspective, can I tell you how Rome conquered the world? Wasn't their tactics, wasn't even their leadership, although they had some great military leaders to be sure. It wasn't their weaponry or their siege weapons. You know what conquered the Roman world? It's described here as the sword. Now, in the Greek language, there's two different words for sword. The machaira is the short sword for up close and personal contact. And then there was the long uh, Thracian sword that reminded you a lot of the big English broadsword, just huge and heavy. You could cut an armored knight in half if you swung it with enough force. Well, this is the word that is machaira. This was the weapon that Rome conquered the world with. I have a replica here. For those of you that have never seen a machaira, this was attached to the belt. Oh, you mean the belt of truth? This was attached to the belt of a Roman legionnaire. The, the shield was affixed to it. They wore their helmet, had armor on their shoulders, but everything hung on the belt line. They would have a dagger here. They would carry their pilium. They would have the machaira at their... At at, at their close side, and with their arm, they would be holding up their shield, and that's how they entered into battle. The seven-foot pilium would be your first course of action against the enemy when he came at you. That would keep him at distance. That long pike, if you will, it's a spear, a seven-foot spear. The pilium would keep him. But I'll tell you what, once they advanced past that, or you dropped the spear or embedded it in one of their horses and they ran off with it, when they got in your face... What they would do is then is would pull out the most deadly sword that mankind has ever invented. This thing in Roman hands had a razor sharp edge on both sides. They could swing it either way. It was pointed on the end. They could impale their victims or combine all three of those movements. This is what conquered the Roman world. This is the short sword when the enemy's in your face. This is when you've used up everything else that you had to fight the enemy, and now it comes down to hand-to-hand -to -hand combat. Now it's a real matter of life and death. What do you do? 
the Roman legionnaire would pull out this sword, short enough for really up close fighting. And yet on horseback, you could wield it, and it would cut both ways. And this is what God wants you to use against Satan, not each other. The sword of the Spirit, it's a lethal weapon. Satan knows that, and he will do everything he can to keep you out of the Word of God, out of fellowship, away from communion and the church. The reason is because if you're not obedient to all four, you're not effective in wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Powerful stuff is what he's trying to share with us, but spiritual stuff. I wish all it took to get Satan off my back was to pull this little puppy out of the sheath and start whacking away. I wish that's all it took. But he's using a metaphor here that the Word of God is sharper than this two-edged sword. I thought about passing this around, but the first thing you would do is say, well, I wonder if this will go through my hand. Or I wonder if I can cut off somebody's head with this. <laughs> no, you don't get to play with my sword. You got your own. You don't, you don't need mine. You got your own. <laughs> what you need to do is learn to start using this. The only way you can use it against the enemy is to know it. That's why Jesus in his wilderness temptations was to be able to quote Scripture to Satan. Every single time. He knew the Word of God because he had been in the Word of God. He didn't make excuses why he didn't. Well, you know, Satan, it says somewhere, uh, I don't know, something. We know what we should do these last days, but we tend to act like these are not the last days. So we become flippant and silly. And we justify our backsliding. Our drifting takes place so slowly, we don't think anybody else is noticing that we're losing ground spiritually. Let me tell you something. Everybody sees it but you. I'm doing my best this morning to bring it to your attention so that you might take corrective action. I don't want to see you fall. I don't want to see... Satan on your back like a monkey in a zoo. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see you forfeit your ministry. I don't want to see you give up your most fruitful years. I don't want to see you throw in the towel, quit, become despondent, do the Elijah thing. In the Old Testament, Elijah said, I quit. I give up. It's too hard. I don't want to see that happen to you. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is an effective tool against the enemy. Pray instantly, in season and out of season. Pray in the Spirit. How do I pray in the Spirit? You pray because you've got the Holy Spirit within you. You pray in accordance with His will, not yours. You pray seeking spiritual strength and power to overcome the enemy. You pray in accordance with the Word of God, not cherry-picking the passages you like because they're the ones that feel best in your flesh. 
You consider the whole Word of God, the parts that step on your toes, Genesis to Revelation, New Testament, Old Testament, everything in between, the Psalms, the Proverbs. This is all the inspired Word of God. All of it, all Scripture is God-breathed. Say amen. And it's suitable. It's, correct. it's suitable for correction and training in righteousness. And the Word of God, it's so important. So many scriptures address that issue, and, and too many people these last days ignore those. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the Word of God is living and active, sharper than even this double-edged sword penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. That's how come sometimes when I teach, you might feel something in your heart. Something in your mind that says, he's talking to me. No, it's the Holy Spirit of God talking to you. You just need to be open to learning and growing and changing because the tendency of your flesh is to resist everything I've just said. Rebellion is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Sometimes we're that child. Where do you think you are, Pastor Jimmy? You've been reading my mail? No, your wife called me. No. <laughs> Although they, there have been those occasions. But the bottom line is God's got your mail. He's got your address. He knows how to get your attention. You just need to be open to it when he does. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, verse 18, all kinds of prayers, requests, petitions, intercessions. With this in mind, keep alert and always keep on praying. Always keep on praying. It's one of the pillars of the saints. Pray for all of the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Be fearless. Don't care about what people think think about you, or well, I don't, if I share the gospel with somebody at work, they may be offended. Offend them. That wasn't even a consideration in Jesus' life. He didn't say, well, what if this will offend them or not? His disciples came to him one time and said, Jesus, don't you realize what you just said against these doggy old Pharisees? Don't you know you just offended them? And I can just see Jesus going, and? Offense is not the issue. The Word of God will always offend those that want, don't want to hear it. Are you offended this morning? You don't have to say anything. You just have to answer the question in your heart of hearts. Have I offended you this morning? Not my book. I didn't write these words. Have I offended you? It's not me. Maybe the Word of, of God is trying to find a way in your heart. Maybe something needs to change. Something needs to be yielded. Maybe there's a step in obedience that you need to make and you know it. And you put it off for too long. God's giving you that opportunity now. This isn't between you and me. This is between you and God. This is between you and God. And He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Verse 24, I am an ambassador in chains for Christ. The gospel wasn't chained though. Just Paul was. And pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And then his final greetings in verse 21, Tychicus, the dear brother. I know that different people pronounce that different ways. In the Greek, it's not, it doesn't even sound like that. In fact, in the Greek, it's tukikos. 
Tuki Kos. That just sounds dumb enough that I'm not going to say that to you this morning. So if you want to pronounce it Tychicus, that's fine, or Tychicus, that's fine, or Tychicus, that's fine, because all of them are incorrect <laughs> equally. So, but it sounds stupid in the Greek. Tychicus, my dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he'll tell you everything. I can't. He's, on, he's in jail visiting with me, so I'm sending him back to you so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is how you survive the next 10 years. This is how you survive the assaults of the enemy that are coming if they're not upon you now. This is your day of potential victory. It all depends on what you do with the armor of God. You don't like Satan chewing on your backside? Armor up. It's pretty plain and simple. But the only offensive weapon that we have at our disposal, all the rest of it's defensive. But this and prayer is the only things that will do some real damage to the enemy. So use those. The rest of the armor is for you. This is for him. Swing away. You don't like him chomping on your backside? Then do a little kicking back. Swing the sword of the Spirit. Put on the full, I said the full armor of God, which means full obedience in all of the things that we've mentioned to you tonight. Don't come up to me after service and say, well, I'm doing three of those four things. Well, that says I'm a wimp in one area and ignorant of it, not willing to do anything about it. That really sounds dumb to even say it that way, doesn't it? So don't do that. Don't try to come up and justify anything to me or the Lord. There are four areas that you must devote yourself to. And Satan doesn't care which of those that you ignore. It will be to your own detriment. It's like a four-legged stool. Yeah, but they're heavy. <laughs> Picking up the lightest one of these stools and the shortest one, and I'm sure our singers back here will say, what are you doing with my stool? These are the pillars of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, you will read that the early church in verse 42 devoted themselves to four things. And you want to know because that was the church in all of its power, in all of its purity. What did the early church devote themselves to? Multimedia? Salesmanship? Marketing the church, perhaps? Hmm. Then why do we spend so much time in, in today's nonsensical society in churches doing those things? They devoted themselves to... The apostles' teaching. Handily, we've got that codified for us. It is the Word of God. Apostles' teaching. Are you devoted to the Word of God? They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is an essential part of this. They devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper, to communion. Okay? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. Now, let me ask you a question because you are intelligent and all of you have gone to engineering school. How many of these do I have to cut out from underneath you before you fall? Any one of them will do. And it doesn't matter which one. You skip church, you're going to fall. You skip prayer, 
you're going to fall. You skip the Word of God, you're going to fall. You skip the celebration of communion and all that it means, you are going to fall. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. These are the four pillars that made the early church strong. Read about it yourself in Acts, starting in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. We've got to get back to the basics. Because Satan is taking apart the church today. And people are leaving by the droves. Because they're sensing there's nothing that competes with the world's entertainment in the church. We, the church doesn't have enough smoke pots and lasers and presentations and fancy bands. I'm chasing after the things of the world. Instead, you go back into the world. As Peter says, a dog returns to its vomit. We are not that people. We are the people of God. We are the children of God. We will stand on the Word of God. We will walk in obedience to the commands of God because that's who we are. That's who God created us to be. We're not a people of excuse. We're not a people that whine and whimper, oh, Satan's really attacking me. Armor up, dude. Armor up, put on your man pants. This is not the time to whine, whimper, murmur, and complain. God is still on the throne. Just say amen. Jesus is still coming back. Act like it. Act like it. You be busy about the things that your heavenly Father is concerned with and everything will turn out just fine. Pups is reminding me that I'm way out of time, so you're going to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer while his band comes up here and reminds us of how good God is. Amen.